live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to the Bose Nose Show. Coming to you from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where we're sitting here waiting for the big flood that really hasn't materialized. Um, but pretty windy and nasty weather here in uh, the Northwest today, and uh, just typical winter time. So today is a free-for-all show, and you know I, I have these specifically so people can call in and control the conversation. So hopefully you'll dial in at 646-721-9887. And uh, just press 1, and that lets Robin the call screener know you're uh, waiting to get in on the show. Uh, and it's so that you guys can call in. And, you know, I'm a Lane County commissioner here, so any county questions are fair game, any suggestions you have for what the county could do better, any topics at all here relative to local Lane County politics? Shoot, we can talk about the Ducks and the, the three football players that got hospitalized after working out, or we can, you know, talk about anything Lane County you want to talk about, uh, municipal issues, county issues, and we can go on to state issues, and we can talk about the state budget and the legislators that, that's getting ready to start uh, – meeting. They've already got over 2,000 new laws they proposed that we're sifting through here at the county and trying to decide whether we're going to support or oppose them. And we can even talk national politics. In fact, that's kind of a subject I want to try and get into today. And I'd love to have a conversation with folks out there um, about that because there's really something I've just never really seen in this country that's going on today. And it's that people are literally giving up friendships over who people voted for. And yeah, I'd love to hear some perspective from other people out here because, you know, I'm kind of one of these folks that's, you know, I'm an engineer. I, I admit I'm not one of these folks that lives by emotions and all that stuff. I have tend to go to the logical side of things and I just don't get it. I just don't get how this, this last election was so divisive that you can take somebody you were friends with, for years and years and years and cast them aside because they did not vote for the candidate that you voted for. Um, just amazes me. So if you want to talk about that, we talk, talk about anything at all in your mind, you can call me at 646-721-9887 and just press one. Let Robin know that you want to get in on, on the conversation and go live on the air. Um, you can also get to us on uh, by email at talk at krbnradio.net. And uh, you can find us on Facebook, too, and send us a message on Facebook, uh, KRBN Internet Radio. Uh, you know, search for that on Facebook, and you can find us. Um, so it's been a, a rather busy week here leading up to Friday's inauguration. And the thing that kind of probably shocked me into some real stunning reality about this election was the news this morning that a 16-year-old girl is being cyberbullied right now on the internet over the fact that she was 
accepted an invitation to sing the national anthem at the inauguration. And, and you know, for folks that aren't familiar with Jackie Ivanko, she's a, the, the young girl that almost won America's Got Talent or some, I forget which show it was, it might have been America's Got Talent, and ended up with a career, um, you know, basically as a nine-year-old, sang like a 40-year-old opera star, um, and beautiful singing voice. And she's now 16, you know, you know seven years later, 16-year-old girl, and the uh, Trump uh, committee asked her to sing the national anthem, and she accepted. And she is now getting absolutely lambasted on social media and the internet, and you know, people sending her tweets and and Facebook messages and everything else about how wrong it is that she's going to sing the national anthem at the inauguration, and trying to um, bully her into not doing it and it's just you know yeah it's just kind of amazing to me you know one it's it, it's singing the national anthem is pretty non you know political in some ways and it's about you know you're singing the national anthem at the peaceful transition and power of our country's um top executive doesn't matter who it's being transitioned to it's an honor to do so and I just don't understand, you know, the the evil messages that I've seen um, in some news reports that people are sending to a 16-year-old girl. And, you know, I can't imagine how that's impacting her. But on top of that, um, there is a post that came around this weekend that I, um, you know, shared on my Facebook page that I thought was pretty well written. You know, and it basically was just saying that some of the most, you know, wonderful, inspirational people I know voted for Donald Trump. Some of the most wonderful, inspirational people I know voted for the other candidate. Um, and just because they voted that way doesn't change the fact that they're wonderful, inspirational, creative people. And I'm going to stay friends with them no matter what. Um, you know, and, and kind of choosing to, you know, be above that. And I actually had somebody copy and paste that on their page and, and preface it with a, with a comp, basically a comment that said, this has been going around the internet. I totally disagree. If I, you know, if I find out you voted for Donald Trump, I'm going to distance myself from you because you don't share my values. Um, and it just, and I got into discussion, you know, with, in, in, on the internet with that person kind of was like the, the uh, person that votes for a candidate doesn't necessarily agree with everything that candidate's done or their or some of their you know bad aspects. You know, somebody that voted for Donald Trump may not like how he views women or or some of the things he said you know about women in the past they just feel like he's the best person to lead our country forward. You know, and that, and that, you know, look at that, what they, they voted for a positive reason, most likely. Just like, you know, I wouldn't think that somebody that voted for Hillary Clinton necessarily believes that her support of Bill Clinton, when he was, you know, being accused of some of his uh, sexual picadellos and, um, you know, basically, 
misogyny that he was partaking in and the fact that she enabled that through trying to ruin the reputations of women that uh, accused him of that. Um, I don't think that's, you know, people that voted for Hillary Clinton support that as their values. I think they thought Hillary Clinton was the best person to lead the country forward if they voted for her out of the, the candidates that were there. Likewise, if you voted for one of the other candidates, uh, you know, the Stein or um, the Libertarian, you, know, you voted for who you voted for because you thought that was the best person to lead the country forward. And I don't think that, you know, with that vote, that was an endorsement of every bad characteristic of that candidate and that those are your your values exactly match the values of the candidate um i'm going to look at people and say i think that you voted for that person for good reasons what you felt was right and i'm going to honor the fact that you felt you were doing the right thing and not dislike you for having done so you know and i'm going to continue talking to you because even though we may not agree politically, I like to hear your ideas because I don't want to live in an echo chamber of my own thoughts. You know, one of the things that makes for um, growth and in, in, in community is sharing, you know, opinions that are different and hearing the arguments about why you support that differing opinion and, and hearing an opposing side so that you can check to see if you're correct in some of your presumptions. Otherwise, you know, you can go pretty far down the wrong road. You know, it's just like, you know, they, um, when folks thought the world was flat, they were ready to throw people into the dungeons for anyone that said it was round. When, you know, Copernicus and Galileo started talking about the uh, Earth not being the center of the universe and everything circul you know, circulating around it, but actually the Earth was orbiting the sun along with the, uh, the rest of the planets. Um, you know, they were either locked in a tower or dungeons. You know, that was the sort of thing. That, and you only hear from the folks that support the other side um, rather than hearing both sides of an argument. Uh, it, it's just not a healthy thing for this uh, country that, people are starting to basically say, you know what, if you don't agree with me, you're not my friend anymore. And I think that, you know, what that leads to is extreme division in this country. Folks only hearing one side of an argument, I don't care which side you're on, that's never a good thing. We should always listen to both sides of, a, of, a, of an argument and uh, being uninformed as to what the downside is maybe to what their, what their belief is or what their their policy is or, you know, any number of things. Um, and it leads to basically um, confirmation bias where you're only looking for and talking to folks that confirm your belief in something and therefore you can march down the road of the people that believe the earth was flat and the sun orbited the earth, um, you know, because the only people you're talking to also believe the earth is flat and the sun orbits the earth and they're looking for everything they can to demonstrate that that is the correct belief and sharing that, that those bits of data and ignoring everything else that, that says, no, it's the other way around. You know, 
you know, that they're, they're, that's not true, it's fake, you know, it's not confirmed, you know, all those things that you, you know, you hear people say when they get presented with data that they don't believe because they've had so much confirmation bias built into themselves that they just won't listen to anything else. And, and you know, both sides are guilty of it on any argument if, if they're not listening, at least trying to actively listen to the other side and appreciate why the other side believes what they do. I mean, I think that it, it's something we should all strive for as, as, as a people is to try and have enough uh, empathy and confidence in your own position to listen to the other side and try and at least understand why they believe what they do and not assume they believe what they do because they're evil or that, you know, if they support a candidate, that they support every bad thing that comes with the history of that candidate. Um, just not a good thing for our country. So kind of curious what other people might think about that. You know, so if you want to call, you can call in at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin the call screener know you want to get in on the conversation. And, you know, a couple other things that have been going on around here is uh, I, I find it kind of interesting that there's this decision by some people to try and, um, do harm to others in their, in their protest of the, the Trump presidency. You know, I, I fully appreciate uh, peaceful protest, uh, and civil and peaceful civil dis- disobedience. What I kind of don't appreciate is when people are planning to shut down, um, stretches of highways and bridges and bus systems like they're talking about doing in, in Portland this this Friday because, you know, that can actually cause loss of life, you know, particularly when they start shutting down bridges and, and transit systems. You know, somebody needs to get to a hospital and they have to go on a 20 or 30 minute detour to get around a protest. Um, that could be the difference between living and dying. Or it could be the difference in whether a, a, a limb gets saved or not after extreme trauma. And I think it, you know, folks that are talking about shutting down streets without getting permits to shut them down where their, their planned routes are known and the ambulance drivers know the routes, um, but they're insisting, the protesters in Portland, on moving ahead with no permits and no, uh, not even turning their plans into police or anything like that. Uh, you know, you, we all have a First Amendment right to free speech, but that does not give us the right to infringe on other people's rights um, of life and liberty. And I think um, some of these planned protests are going to. And in addition, I I have a feeling that they'll go beyond just blocking streets and all that as they did earlier where they caused over a million dollars worth of damage in Portland. And, you know, a lot of that damage was done to businesses, to folks that supported the candidate they supported. You know, so it just uh, amazes me how out of control some of that gets. You know, so that's kind of, you know, we're bracing for that on Friday. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen here in, in Eugene and Lane County. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, Eugene has a has a history of being a lot less violent. I mean, we actually had a Trump campaign rally in Eugene that was in between rallies in other cities that actually turned into riots that got violent. 
And in Eugene, even though there was a large protest at the rally, it stayed peaceful. There was no property damage done. You know, there weren't any big fights. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping that Lane County can show the rest of the country how it's done, that there can be protests peaceful and um, without having to go uh, too far in infringing on other people's rights or endangering other people or damaging people's property um, that may even support your cause. So be interesting to see what happens this Friday with the inauguration. I'm going to be down in San Jose, California at a trade show with my wife, so it'll be very interesting. My wife owns a business, and I uh, help her with this trade show annually. So the one weekend a year, I, I go away and help my wife. Uh, great to be married to a confident, intelligent businesswoman that she is. Uh, it's a fun thing to do every year to go down and, and help her with her, her trade show booth. So what else is in the news in Oregon? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, you know, finally we're getting this warm front coming through, and I don't have any snow in my yard. But one of the big questions that's been going around is, what in the heck is it about Oregon that we can't handle three or four inches of snow, let alone a foot of snow or an inch or a quarter inch of ice, and and it turns into absolute chaos? Um, the folks up in Portland are wondering that. Down here in Lane County, I think folks are pretty appreciative of just how hard the utility companies worked in the ice storm to get things restored. Unusual event down here in Lane County, but uh, definitely it seems like Portland has just been caught with their pants down um, three or four times this winter with snowstorms, where it just brought the city to a standstill. And it seems like snow is a rather expected event in Portland with the influence of the Columbia River Gorge that brings in that cold air off the high deserts, um, they tend to get snow in Portland much more often than we do down here in Lane County. And uh, they just seem to be woefully unprepared for it. Um, and, you know, I know several folks here that have um, businesses that needed to get deliveries from Portland that got stalled for several days and caused major disruptions in some of their business operations just because Portland was at a dead standstill. So the the impact of Portland's ability to handle a snowstorm, you know, was felt uh, across this, the region, really, in, in that, you know, deliveries and other um, business activities just came to a, a near stop. Most of our state um, agency offices are in Portland, so they were completely down for a while. Um, just amazing that, that a major city of that size just could not handle a snowstorm. And I don't know if it's, you know, people talk about, well, why can't they use salt and stuff? I'm not sure if that's really the answer, but it just seems like they didn't have enough equipment, didn't put it out quick enough, fast enough, hard enough, and um, don't understand it because they, they're compared to Lane County, Multnomah County and the city of Portland are drowning in money. Uh, you know, there's, it's just... Uh, pretty incredible how much more money per capita they have in those counties than we have here in Lane County to spend, and yet we seem to be able to respond uh, to winter storm events better than Portland does. So uh, last week I talked to everybody a little bit about our budget, you know, which is kind of that Portland question is what 
you know, brought the budget up to mind for me. Any questions folks have about the budget, they can give me a call too. We're, we're coming into a, you know, a pretty decent budget year again. It's our second year basically living without any timber payments um, from the, the federal government. And uh, so we're living off of basically local revenue only. And I think we're, you know, Lane County's got a good story to tell because we've really managed to control our cost versus cutting services and uh, asking people for more taxes until we've controlled costs. And, uh, you know, if any questions about that, last week's show, you can give me a call. Again, it's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. So a couple other things coming up next week for the Board of Commissioners here is we're going to have a discussion about smoking in our park system and whether we should ban it from our parks. And uh, the, the first proposal was to completely ban it from the parks. It's been modified a little bit uh, to include some language that allows for um, Native American uh, rituals and ceremonies to be allowed to have tobacco in the parks with, you know, if it's a permitted uh, event. And then uh, also to allow folks to smoke in their campsites uh, if they want to. Uh, and even that campsite um, exemption is being questioned by the folks that are pushing for a complete ban. And the one question I've asked since this issue came up over a year ago was, show me an objective study that's been peer-reviewed, good science, that an outdoor smoking ban in any sort of public outdoor space, not just a park, but you know, any outdoor space has an impact on the rate of smoking in the general population or the initiation of smoking by youth, by young people, or has any true public health benefit. And I have yet to have anyone supply me with a study that says this ban will actually have an impact on public health. And, and I, you know, because smoking tends to be um, population-wise and, and demographically something that poor people and our veterans do more than the rest of the population, it seems like adding a smoking ban that has nothing to do with public health is going to be discriminatory against those two populations. Robin, were you trying to get in on the conversation there? Sorry, I thought I heard Robin for a second. Um, so it's one of those things that we've um, really kind of questioned, what, what, why are we doing this? Why is Lane County going to do this outdoor smoking ban other than it's just to keep, you know, folks from briefly maybe smelling somebody's cigarette while they're out in a park um, seems to be a pretty intolerant thing. It's kind of like banning people with body odor from the bus system. Yeah, you might have to smell them for a few minutes while you're on the bus. Um, you know, that was determined to be basically unconstitutional. That's basically what we're trying to do with the park system and tobacco, because there's really no, um, we're talking about parks that we allow people to barbecue in with charcoal briquettes. And if you look at the chemical composition of smoke from a charcoal briquette fire, 
it's worse than tobacco for carcinogens, um, believe it or not. Particularly secondhand smoke, once it's been brought into lungs and expelled, has even less. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if we're going to ban smoking, we got to ban all charcoal briquette fires, and then we got to ban a whole bunch of other stuff that emits carcinogens. Um, it's kind of silly because it's really not exposure that actually has a health impact. Um, it's just one of these things where some people find it disagreeable and they're trying to ban a disagreeable behavior. Really, with you know, there's all sorts of things that I, I find disagreeable about people's behaviors, and but I think ban, you know, creating bans around disagreeable behaviors leads us down to a long slippery slope. We got to have a good public health reason to, to go ahead with a ban, in my mind. But I'd be curious if you think it's a good good idea to ban smoking in parks. And another issue that's going to be coming forward to the commissioners about tobacco later in the month is, is raising the age of purchase to 21. And that actually has substantial research and data that says it does have a positive public health impact because the major source for tobacco products for kids under the age of 18 are their peers and siblings that are between 18 and 20. And moving the age up to 21 makes it less likely that those kids are going to get the tobacco products, which it's shown in places that have initiated this this age limit. Um, it drops this the initiation of tobacco use of minors by at least 25% and sometimes more. So it's a pretty amazing um, public health benefit that it has objective data in it. And if it's phased in over time, so you're not forcing somebody that's already addicted to tobacco that's 18 to suddenly have to wait two years to be legal again, um, it's a pretty fair law, and it matches things up with things like alcohol, marijuana, and several other um, age age limits that are set at 21. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those things where uh, we realize that the major suppliers of underage uh, minors that really don't have, um, you know, we've, we've basically said if you're under 18, you don't have the ability to sign a contract. There's several things. That's why you have, you know, parents or guardians when you're under 18. Um, we, we don't think it's a good idea that you should be allowed to make a decision to utilize a highly addictive substance, which tobacco, nicotine is actually one of the most addictive chemicals in the world. Uh, and, waiting to age 21 to be able to make that decision. Once you're 21, if you want to be stupid and get addicted to nicotine, go right ahead. But usually a 21-year-old is not willing to supply a 17-year-old with cigarettes. That much age difference makes them, you know, and and all tends to make people think a little bit harder about that. Of course, there's always the idiot parents that are supplying their kids with tobacco products um, that are age 40 or so. We can't solve everybody, but this is shown by, you know, objective studies to have a major public health impact. So I kind of wonder what's everybody else think about that? You know, I've heard some of the converse arguments about um, if you're allowed to go into the military, you should be allowed to smoke. Then the question is, is what about drinking and and marijuana and a few other things? Um, So, you know, we've made some decisions about 21 on other topics. Kind of curious to hear what you'd like, what you think about both the uh, park smoking ban and maybe the uh, 21 legal tobacco age. Um, just give me a call, 
646-721-9887. And press 1, and that lets Robin know you want to get in on the queue. And, uh, you know, you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And if you're, you know, li- listening to the show after it's live and just archived on the Internet, which all of our shows are, and you can look us up on iTunes, um, just uh, search uh, in Google iTunes KRBN, and you'll get to uh, the files. Um, if you're listening to the show after the fact, you know, the email is one of the ways you can get to me, and you can let me know what you think about Tobacco 21 age limit or um, the park smoking ban. Are we going too far with, you know, creating new rules and regulations to modify behavior um, on either of those, or is it not far enough? Um, let me know what you think. I'd be, be curious to know. Or we can go back to the original topic of the, the at the head of the conversation here. Uh, let me know what you think about um, the political climate. Are you going to stay friends with somebody that voted for the other side? Um, you know, can a Trump supporter still be friends with a Hillary supporter or a Bernie Sanders supporter? Can a Bernie Sanders or Hillary supporter still be friends with a Trump supporter? Um, you know, is that possible? You know, I know I've got friends on both sides, you know, and, and uh, I'm determined to stay friends with all of them. I'm just hoping that they can uh, stay friends with me <laughs> because uh, I think listening to both sides of an argument is always the best thing for a person and their uh, and their personal growth. You know, it's all about self-improvement. So other things uh, going on in Lane County and, and the area, you know, we've got this uh, thing going on downtown with city hall and courthouses and all that stuff. I think I've talked in a past um, show about this, but if you're not aware, uh, city of Eugene tore down their old city hall. They need, they want a new city hall. Their old one was pretty non-functional and wasn't seismically secure, but you know, there was a lot of debate about whether they should tear it down or not or remodel it, but they went ahead and tore it down. So now they've got an empty lot. They're currently, uh, leasing space for Lane County in our office building and using our meeting hall, Harris Hall, for their city council meetings. And, you know, so they want and desire to have their own self-identity with a, their own city hall where people, you know, knew they were coming to city government versus coming into the county building looking for the city offices. Um, so I kind of understand some of that need for self-identity, uh, but they've kind of had some fits and starts about their projects and cost overruns and everything else. And the county has been kind of slowly progressing towards the idea that um, we need to build a new courthouse. One of the things that the mandated requirement of counties is we have to supply a court facility for the circuit court systems in our state. Uh, The state pays for the actual judge's salaries and the court um, operations on a year-to-year basis, but the capital improvement of the building that houses the courts is a county responsibility. And Lane County's courthouse is old, built in the late 50s. Uh, It's not seismically sound. It's got some other issues if you start to try and remodel it. It's got asbestos in some places where it's difficult to remodel while there are people living in it. And court systems have changed a lot since the 50s. Uh, You know, 
most of the courtrooms that were built in that building were the original ones were built with six person jury boxes and not 12. Um, they weren't built with security in mind. They're actual places where the defendant, you know, the, the accused can actually reach out and touch jurors from where they sit um, and almost reach the, uh, the witness box uh, from where they sit because the rooms are so crowded. Um, the accused enters and leaves the courtrooms from the same door that the judge does, walks down the same hallways the judges do to get to the offices, uh, and if their courtroom is on the south side of the courthouse, they, ha they actually have to walk out into the lobby to get back into the courtroom through the same door that all the public uses, which might be witnesses and, uh, and victims that are in that same area. So you're walking the accused, you know, think about the typical uh, domestic violence situation of a estranged uh, boyfriend, you know, that's come back and choked a, a, a girlfriend and he, she's in there um, that needs to testify against this boyfriend that's been terrorizing her and he gets to walk right by her in the hallway to get to the courtroom. Not a good situation. So Lane County's been looking at replacing our courthouse. We've kind of done it in a very deliberate fashion. You know, we had established some goals and some values around how we're going to do that. We actually own some property that we've held for years uh, called the Butterfly Lot downtown uh, that could be used for the courthouse replacement. And we went through doing a study of, you know, what kind of space would we need, how big would the building be, who should be located in the building. And the state has come up with a program where they will match up to 50% the cost of building a new courthouse if you co-locate some state agencies into it, like the Public Defender's Office and some of the uh, Department of Justice offices uh, the state needs. So... Um, Lane County's been working towards that, and then the city's kind of been bumping along with their city hall project. And then just, and this last fall, we kind of asked the city to stop and look at how could we work together jointly and develop the best set of projects together that benefits downtown, because there's also the, in the mix the desire of the Lane County Farmers Market to have a permanent location with uh, actually some public space so they could have a year-round farmers market in downtown. So there's this kind of opportunity to plan the Civic Center of Eugene that we've went through. And after you know, months of discussion and plans examining and stuff like that, both the city and the county in December chose uh, an option where the city is going to actually um, sell the county their city hall uh, block that's now leveled. And the county was going to sell the city our butterfly lot half block and of course, you know, it's not an even trade. There'll be some, some money that passes back and forth. And then we'll develop the courthouse on that block and they'll develop the new city hall on half of that butterfly lot, at least phase one of city hall and the farmer's market will be on the other half. And, um, that's kind of what's moving ahead now in downtown. And, you know, we're starting to work on the paperwork behind that. Now that both city and county have made a decision. Now we need to kind of come to a, a, like a memorandum of understanding, start moving forward with things like property appraisals and and um, title searches and all that good stuff and get to a point where we can actually get the courts to take a look at the two deeds um, that are for the butterfly lot to determine which deed has president and whether or not it will allow the city to build on the butterfly lot. 
because uh, there was one of the deeds contains some restrictions that was recorded 40 years after the first one, um, and we believe that that second deed is not in, in force because it was it was uh, rejected by the original county um, board of commissioners at the time called at that time they're called the county court um, in in. And that first deed that was recorded the first time was the actual deed that applies. It didn't have the restrictions in it. All sorts of crazy stuff going on. But the downtown has been a conversation that's been going on here with the courthouse. And it's a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, but it's going to be a, a continuing one because we still got further engineering and planning to do. And, you know, our original look at the courthouse was this is how it would look if it had everything we wanted. <laughs> And now we got to go, okay, what's realistic to be done? And we're going to start the cost cutting and stuff um, and see where we go from there and what the final plan looks like. Uh, but it's kind of exciting times. Hopefully everything will uh, get bogged down in the process because um, the uh, city has a tendency to sometimes do hit, hit, hiccups and starts and then long delays um, where they, they'll move real fast and have long delays and processes, and I hope we can keep them moving. At the, the county tends to have a, uh, a, a steady as as you go pace, and, and ends up getting things done faster in some ways because we keep a steady pace versus fits and starts. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if we can keep our projects synced up and moving ahead, uh, and ultimately end up with uh, a nice looking downtown. And hopefully by the time the 2021 world um, uh, track and field games come to Eugene here in Lane County. So that's uh, just one item that has my is in the back of my head. And one of the things we're trying to do um, as the Board of Commissioners is access a little bit of um, additional funds that, that got freed up when Tillamook County chose not to move ahead with their courthouse project. Um, so it freed up about $8 million in bonding authority for the state that we're trying to utilize to to do this whole land swap and some more engineering on the courthouse and planning to get to um, more of a final plan and do some uh, value engineering and get the, the cost of the project down. So I want to talk about courthouses and city halls. You want to talk about um, tobacco. You want to talk about national politics. Give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 get in on the conversation. Robin, our call screener, will get you in there and uh, we'll put you on the air and you can ask your question or make your statement and uh, have a conversation. So, yeah. So, sorry, a little bit of dog interruption there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they thought they heard way. something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it got a little loud there for a second. I don't know if you guys could hear that over the air or not, but uh, that, that's my four standard poodles. We can talk about standard poodles if you want to. Uh, just had to take one to the groomer today because uh, she couldn't get groomed last week because her groomer had the flu. Um, we have four standard poodles, my wife and I do. And we usually take all four at once because there are four groomers at the shop we take them to, and they all plan to come in on one day when they know our poodles are coming in, but one of them had the flu. So we had to leave one at home last week and had to bring her in today. 
which kind of brings me around to this whole topic of the flu here in Lane County, and we are having a really bad flu year. And the particular strain of flu that's out there that is actually the vaccines are good for because we actually, they did a good job of predicting the CDC of which strain was going to be virulent this year. Um, and the vaccine matches up to the one that's going around. But that particular flu has been has resulted in at least eight deaths in Lane County. Um, and really, I would encourage folks to go out and get the vaccine if they haven't. Um, there's still vaccine available in Lane County. Uh, there's definitely a problem with it. And I tell you, um, from folks that have had the flu that's going around, it's not fun. In fact, I think my call screener, Robin, is suffering a little bit from it. If she came on the air, you get to hear her um, her sultry, uh, dulcet tones here of having her, her voice lowered by about two octaves by the flu, <laughs> along with a little bit of croak. <laughs> is that right, Robin? Yeah, that's right. Just remember Sam Elliott as beef. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> Yeah, you sound lovely, Robin. <laughs> but it's no fun having the flu. So if you get an opportunity, uh, go out and get that flu shot. Uh, there is no mercury in the shot. The flu shot does not cause autism. Um, it's you know safe safe to get. Um, and the more people that get it, the less virulent the outbreaks will be because they won't be able to continue to spread as people have a higher herd immunity, as they as they call it. Um, it's an important thing, and it's one of the things folks probably don't realize out there that um, the county commissioners also sit as the Board of Health in Oregon. We are specifically designated as the Board of Health by state legislation. In fact, it's one of the things that municipalities with home rule you know, charters aren't allowed to have. It's something that's specifically delegated to the counties as being the Board of Health. So we have uh, public health is under Lane County. So, you know, even though you have a restaurant that's inside the city of Eugene, your inspections and permitting for that restaurant goes through the county because we are the Board of Health and it's our environmental health department under our public health um, folks that does all those restaurant permittings and inspections. We also do all the tracking of, of um, foodborne illnesses and, and flu outbreaks, and we've even done, you know, the meningitis outbreaks at the, the U of O, serious diseases like that, and we're prepping for, you know, all the, you know, Zika and everything else uh, in our public health department. So I get to talk with our public health officials quite a bit, in particular Dr. Lugke, who's our public health officer, and I really can't tell you how much he stresses the need for folks to start getting immunized in this whole trend towards, oh, you know, I don't, I don't need to get immunized. There's risk about it. Um, the risks usually are far outweighed by, you know, the need, you know, by the dangers of actually getting some of the things that the immunizations are for. Uh, and flu seems like something fairly simple, but, you know, we have, go back and remember the Spanish flu um, killed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people uh, in, in the late 1916 through about 1920 in various different outbreaks of it. Um, 
was an extremely deadly, virulent version of, of the, the flu. And this year's version can be deadly and has been in Lane County. And I would really encourage folks, uh, please go out and get your flu shot if you haven't gotten one. If not for you, get it for that person that you know that might be one of those people that's susceptible to the secondary um, problems that come along with having the flu. I get my flu shot every year, not because I'm worried about getting the flu because I'm a pretty healthy person, but my wife has asthma. And the flu mixed with asthma is a really bad combination. So I get immunized to keep her healthy so I don't bring it home and give it to her. Um, and think about that if you're um, a parent, if you've got elderly parents that you, you're around a lot, uh, vulnerable people, it helps them if you're immunized. So please go out and get your flu shots. Um, important thing, just part of being uh, the, the Board of Health, it's kind of one of the reasons why that all this tobacco stuff comes in front of us. Is it's as our Board of Health function. It's one of the reasons why I'm having difficulty finding a good reason to support the uh, park smoking ban because I can't find a good public health reason to support it. Um, but why I have some interest possibly, I'm still waiting to hear from um, you know my, the folks out there in Lane County because we haven't had any hearings on this, about raising the age of tobacco um, purchase to 21 and um, how that definitely does have some public health in, um, improvement and impact. So, you know, one of the things that, that we do is, as a Board of Commissioners is we are the Board of Health, and uh, we get to spend a lot of time talking about things that are kind of medical and public health-oriented. Uh, pretty interesting subject, particularly as, you know, we're getting back to the national politics now as we're talking about the possible repeal and replacement of the Affordable Care Act and uh, just what that means to Lane County and our our Health and Human Services Division and whether we'll be able to survive um, major changes in that is going to be interesting. It is interesting that everyone keeps talking about, you know, all these people that will lose their insurance and the pre-existing condition waivers and everything else, that they, all the good stuff. What they don't talk about in the Affordable Care Act is it's causing Oregon to have a $1.8 million deficit in their budget this coming biennium, and it's projected to be over $2.5 billion deficit in the following biennium because the addition of all those extra patients on the Oregon health plan were only supported for a short time by the federal government, and those subsidies go away and now our state budget is being severely impacted, thus the reason why things like Measure 97 were proposed. And that's the portion that people don't talk about, was how are you going to pay for the Affordable Care Act? And is it even really the correct way to go about reforming health care? Is there a more market-based solution that will actually drive people towards um, healthier behaviors and lowering costs that way and provide for competition amongst health providers and insurers um, that isn't there now to hold down cost. What happens right now is something called price illusion where people are, you know, most of their health insurance and health care is subsidized through their employee. They're paying for it. They just don't see how they're paying for it. Uh, it feels 
free or very discounted to them. So, you know, folks that do have insurance or even folks that are on the Oregon Health Plan and um, Medicaid don't really see the cost of going to a doctor or going to an urgent care facility or an emergency room because they don't get the full bill if they get any bill at all. Um, and what happens in that kind of a system is if the consumer doesn't feel like there's a price, if it's close to free or free, the demand for that service is unlimited. And when you have unlimited demand, there's no control on cost because, you know, that they can just keep raising prices. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, you know, the supply and demand, the old, the old equation, basically there's an, uh, there's a limited supply of, of healthcare provision in this country because there's a limited supply of providers, a limited supply of several pieces of the puzzle, but we've removed the cost from the consumer. So there's an unlimited demand. So it keeps driving the cost up. So one of the things that, you know, I'd like to see looked at as they talk about repeal and replace or repeal and reform, whatever you want to talk about, however you want to look at it, or just reform the Affordable Care Act, is there a way we could look at doing um, some form of high deductible uh, health saving account combinations, high deductible insurances with a health savings account and where you get into the folks that can't afford to put money away in a health savings account, you subsidize their health savings accounts. Um, and where if they carry that money over from one year to the next, it builds up for them. It's their money in that account. And ultimately when they, you know, can be accessed for emergencies under certain conditions without tax implications. You know, what that does is it, it makes um, the consumer actually the one handing the money over to the healthcare provider out of their health savings account. And they can ask questions like, so is there, you know, a generic version of this drug that I, that will save, you know, keep more money in my health savings account? Or, you know, is there a different, you know, different way to approach this? Is there something I can do in my diet rather than take this, this $400 drug? You know, what else can I do, doctor? You know, how can I keep my money in my account? and roll it over from year to year and build up, you know, a nest egg that can ultimately be used for, you know, other things down the road. Uh, to me, that's, you know, one, and it also eliminates having to get pre-approvals um, from an insurance agency to go see whoever you want. If you want to go see a chiropractor instead of a, uh, of a orthopedic surgeon and just get an adjustment, that's your choice on your health care um, you shouldn't have to go and see if the chiropractic is covered under your insurance and all that stuff. You just write the, the cost of that chiropractor out of your health, your health savings account. You're in complete control. It gives the patient control of their health care. Um, something I kind of would love to see looked at as we start talking about the Affordable Care Act is how can we put the control of your health care back in the patient's hands instead of the insurance company, instead of the government, make it patient-centered and patient-controlled and let the patient actually see the cost of their care where they have to yeah. write the check or use the credit card. And if I can jump in here for a second, Jay. Um, sure. I think if they changed anything, for one, get rid of the penalties. I wanted to share a, a little letter that I recently received um, 
yesterday, in fact, from the Internal Revenue Service, speaking of health care. Uh-huh. And it says, of course, why am I getting this letter? It says, well, the law requires most people to have a minimum health coverage um, are qualified for an exemption. And our records show that you reported owing a penalty when you filed your 2015 taxes because you or someone in your family did not have health insurance. And skipping forward, they say, if I still maintain that, then I'll owe another $695 in penalties. Hi, hi, hi. Yeah, yeah, I don't know one how how in the world the Supreme Court did the gyrations they did to think that this was constitutional. That there was some way under our U.S. Constitution that you could require somebody to purchase a product. You know, it's just it, it you know, it, it's absolutely unconstitutional. And what they basically did was say, well, that that penalty is actually a tax when. It, as they were trying to pass it, one of the reasons why they justified it didn't have to start in the House of Representatives and could come out of the Senate was it wasn't a tax. So if it was a tax, it was actually unconstitutional because it originated in the wrong House of the legislature. Because the other thing the Constitution says is all tax measures have to originate from the House of Representatives. <laughs> so all the arguments back when it was being passed was it's not a tax, it's not a tax, it's a fee. It's not a tax, it's a fee. The penalty is a fee, not a tax. And in the Supreme Court, in order to declare that it was constitutional, said, oh, it's a tax. You know, everything about this thing is just in- incredible. Um, and people, well, just, you know, the people that don't think it needs to be repealed or reformed aren't aware of the damage it's going to do to, to um, the government um, budgets over the next couple of years. But not just that. It's just, and what I don't get is that only Congress can pass a tax, and it wasn't Congress that made it a tax. But here's the thing: like in my case, when I lost my job, I went uh, two months without insurance because it took me two months to get another job, and then another two months um, before the insurance of the new job kicked in. Now I was very lucky or fortunate, able to to find work that quickly. But you know, when you're living off savings and if you don't have un, uh, unemployment or anything like that, now, you, now you're stuck with coming up with money for this um, this tax or penalty or whatever. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, and, and because you have a certain amount of assets and all that, you can't qualify to be get the subsidized, you know, versions. You know, right. it's just it's it's crazy the way that Affordable Care Act was set up. And it was set up to fail. I mean, it was designed to blow apart and fail. The whole fact that it had the initial subsidies that were on the federal government's budget, and then it was being, it was converting the um, uh, the cost over to the states in the following, you know, several years down the road, was designed to make it look like it was harmless at first, and then all of a sudden, you know, government, you know, state governments are going to be scrambling for money because they expanded their enrollment. Um, there are some states that were smart enough to say, you know what, we're not expanding our enrollment. <laughs> you know, you, you you keep your you keep your subsidies for the next couple of years. Um, we're not going to do that because we're not we don't know how we're going to pay for it a couple of years down the road. Oregon, though, under Dr. John, said, "Woo, we'll expand." 
we'll sign up an extra hundred thousand or so people and and uh you know damn the torpedoes straight ahead. We have no idea how we're gonna pay for it. Digger, the mindset um, you have to read the bill or pass the bill, know what's in it, or why read the bill because it takes two days and two lawyers. Yeah. You know, from from I, I, that's just like yeah. Yeah, and it just amazes me that a bill can get that big. I can't think of what the biggest piece of legislation we put through the county is, but, you know, if it runs much more than four or five pages, it's an unusual ordinance or, um, you know, board order or anything that runs bigger than that. How do they think that solving a problem by passing a law, it's like, okay, let's take care of homeless. We'll pass a law that says you have to be wealthy. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to fine you if you're not. <laughs> if you're not worth at least a million, yeah. we're going to fine you. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was designed to fail from the beginning, and the, and the reason it was designed to fail was it was going to be this, okay, now that doesn't work. The next step is single-payer, government-controlled health care. And that, that's the end game that was of uh, the people that designed Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act, um, is, is to get to single-payer health care, all of Britain and Canada. And I've got friends in, in, in the, in the uh, U.K. and friends up in Canada that have told me about sometimes when you need critical surgery or you're scheduled for cancer treatment or something like that, that you go on a waiting list. It's rationed health care. There's nothing is free. And and uh, if you do make it free, then there's unlimited demand, which means the only way to, um, you know, to deal with that unlimited demand is to ration it. And you end up with waiting times to get certain procedures and everything else. Lord forbid you want something done that's an elective surgery. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, I don't, you know, to me, I think the best answer is to try and roll back to get it to where there's a direct relationship between the healthcare provider and the patient. And there is not necessarily an insurance company involved until you have that catastrophic uh, illness. Just like I don't call my car insurance company when I want my oil changed. But if I have a you know, car totaling event with a deer coming home one evening, that's when I call my insurance company, you know, because that's more than what I could pay for out of my pocket. And I expect to pay for my oil changes and filling my gas tank. So just kind of amazing that the American public's got to the point where they don't expect to pay for their health care, their minor health care on a regular basis. Well, that's getting to be about it for the Bose Nose Show. And hopefully we'll be talking to you next week, trying to see if I can get the sheriff on, talk about the sheriff's levy. We'll find out, and uh, we'll be talking to you next week. We'll be coming to you again live from downtown Elmira, Oregon. This has been the Bose Nose Show. Thank you for listening, and good night. <laughs>